Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm glad you're with us today for this episode of Truth for Tough Times. We've been studying through 1 Timothy, and we'll also do 2 Timothy after that, and just learning how to apply truth to the times in which we live. Today's episode for Sunday, April 17, 2022, is titled, Truth for Tough Times, People Problems and Problem People. Pastor Timothy was younger than many people he served in his church in Ephesus, and he was also in the same age range as many in his church. That is tough. (laughs) It was easy for others whether they were older than him or grew up with him, and none of them actually grew up with him, but they were the same age. But it was easy for anyone to look down on him. Pastor Timothy often took these problems to heart personally, I think. We can kind of see that as we study through 1st and 2nd Timothy. Pastor Timothy needed biblical counsel from the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, about how to handle people problems and especially how to handle problem people that were a problem to themselves, to the church, and to Pastor Timothy. Do you have any problem people in your life? Well, this might help you as we study this today. You know, many times people ask, how hard could it be to serve as a pastor? You don't do anything all week. You play golf all the time, and you talk a little bit on Sunday. Well, let me tell you what. If that is your view of what being a pastor is, especially if you are a pastor and that's your view, (laughs) but if that's your viewpoint of what pastors do, I'm here to tell you from almost 30 years of personal experience, how hard could it be to serve as a pastor? Well, to do it the right way, it's hard. Period. Let me tell you some things that I know of for a fact that pastors and those who serve the church have had to do. Personally, I know for certain that sometimes a pastor might have to take rifles from a home and pistols to an undisclosed location to prevent violence in that home. Say, Pastor Ed, you've got to be kidding me. Hey, 100% truth right there. I was locked up in jail once, <laughs> almost. I had the duty to go visit somebody who wasn't even a member of mine, but they're a relative of, of a member of one of my churches, and it was a brand-new jail. It was all electronic. So they bring the guy in. We, we pray. We counsel that brief session's over, and comes time for me to leave, and the door's locked. And there's nobody, it's hard to explain, but there's nobody who could see me where I was directly. Maybe by a camera they could, but for all they knew, I had left. Somehow, after I prayed a lot, this was late in the day, by the way, nobody else was be coming to use that room that day. Somebody saw me in there and said, what are you doing in here? And I said, well, the door never opened. I couldn't get out. Anyway, I didn't have to spend the night in jail. Yeah. All right. Uh, Sometimes pastors can be threatened by people. You can write that down. 
Pastors, this happened to me, I was asked to officiate at a funeral of an atheist. What was I going to say, right? I mean, yes, I could preach the gospel, but there wasn't anything spiritually true other than the person was an atheist. I mean, it was one of the weirdest experiences I've ever had, but I did my best to present Jesus Christ even at the atheist funeral. And these weren't even members of my church. It was somebody from the community that I didn't even know, really. It was weird. Um, pastors can be lied to, they can be lied about, and they can be defamed, that's for sure. Pastors know what it is to invest themselves in disciple-making only to see the, quote, disciples desert the faith later. And all of that was just on a Monday. <laughs> Imagine the entire week with a pastor, what that would be. You know what? I do it all over again. There's, there's nothing like pastoring or ministering the word to the people of God. But I like what the great English Bible preacher and expositor John Phillips said. I said this once in a conference at our church one time. I think it's also in one of his books. To dwell above with saints we love, that will be glory. To dwell below with saints we know, that's another story. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. And we're going to look at people problems and problem people. And these are kind of mixed all together. It's not neatly broken up. 1 Timothy 5, verse 1, rebuke not an elder. Now, this is a person who is a senior adult compared to Timothy. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. So Timothy is to be careful not to, not to strike, is the idea, not to... Um, publicly abuse someone who was a senior adult to him, like an older older man in the church. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren. So pastors are reminded here, Timothy is, this is good advice for everybody in the church. We need to treat the older people in our churches with some honor, dignity, and respect. Now, they may not always be personally worthy of it, but we should do it anyway. I still call, now I'm 65, but I still call a lot of people sir and ma'am. It's, it's a Southern thing, all right? But it's also a courtesy thing. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. So problem comes up, you know, be, treat those older than you respectfully. Even though there may be a problem, you could still be courteous and polite. And remember, as my wife often says, there are two words which can open any door with ease. One is thank you. The other, please. Remember that. That's good advice. And the younger men is brethren. So he's to treat 
These people like beloved family is what it comes down to. Verse two, the elder women, that's the women that were older than Timothy, old enough to be his mama or his grandma, okay? The elder women as mothers. You know, how would you treat your mother? Now, some of you shouldn't answer that. <laughs> how should your mother be treated is, is a better way to say that. The elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. So Timothy is to, to treat his family very, very respectfully, especially the older women and the, the women the same age as him. Verse three, honor widows that are widows indeed. A widow indeed is a widow who has uh, obviously no longer has a husband, but probably has no children who can take care of her, um, no other relatives nearby or close, and she's, she is, especially in that day and age, cast upon the Lord to be taken care of in her old age. Honor widows that are widows indeed. And we're gonna see here as we look at this that the word honor is talking about in this context about uh, financial support, you know, help with food and that type of thing. Honor widows that are widows indeed, true widows. Now, watch what happens here when we go to verse four. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first, and nephews is, is the idea of grandchildren, but if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite, that is pay back their parents. Let them learn first to show piety at home. Who, who's the they, the children or the grandchildren of the widow? But if any have wid widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. So this widow who has no one to care for her she is to serve the church by being a prayer warrior. Now, what if a, a widow says, well, I don't know exactly how to do that. Well, I guarantee you, if your support is from the church and you're dependent on God to support you through the church, you can learn how to continue in supplications and prayers night and day, not only obviously for your needs, but for the church at large. Now, she that liveth in pleasure, that is, she just pursues her own life, does her own thing, is not really concerned for the church at all, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. These are the living dead right here. Why? Well, she, instead of seeking the things of God and the welfare of the church, whether or not she has uh, children or grandchildren, she just lives to do her own thing. You know, God is not really in her heart and in her mind, and the people of God are obviously are not as either. Verse eight, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith 
and is worse than an infidel. So if a professing Christian, man or woman, will not provide for the needs of their parents, especially a, a widowed mom, they're doing more damage to the Christian faith as people observe that than someone who hates Christianity. I mean, it's about the same effect, only worse. You know, they say they are Christians, but it can't be seen in how they do the most basic thing of taking care of their mom and dad, you know, which the whole world understands we're supposed to do that. Not everybody does it, but everybody understands it should be done, even if it's not. Verse 9, so here seems to be the problem that was going on. There were uh, many widows in the church at Ephesus, and apparently a growing number of them were being added to the role of the church to take care of them. So notice that Paul has already specified, well, a, a real widow, a true widow, will, be, will learn to be, even if she's not, someone who serves the church in praying for the church, the leadership, the membership, and the you know the advance of the gospel. All right, she'll be concerned about the things of the kingdom of God. But here is where the problem really is exposed in verse nine of First Timothy five. Let not a widow be taken into the number under three score years old. So possibly there were widows who were 45 and 50 and, I don't know, younger than that. And Paul establishes under the leadership of the Holy Spirit a rule. Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old. That's 60 years old. Having been the wife of one man, this has the idea that she was a faithful uh, wife to her deceased husband. So she was faithful, and notice how we know that. Look at verse 10. Well reported of for good works. When you thought of a woman who served the Lord and took care of her family, you thought of this woman, all right? Well reported of for good works. If she had brought up children, if she had lodged strangers, so caring for children, even children who were literally thrown out as trash by the pagans would be rescued and adopted by Christians and raised as their own children. So she brought up children, you know, her own or maybe cared for others or even served the uh, families of the church who have children. If she brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, that is, people who needed shelter, whether they were Christians or not, if she had washed the saints' feet. Now, maybe this was literal, a very menial task, possibly. I mean, it certainly was something very common in that day, but it also can have the idea of she does, she does the service for the church, the Christians there, that others would think they were too important to do if she had washed the saints' feet, if she had relieved the afflicted. So she has helped those in need, right? If she had diligently followed every good work. These are the kind of widows, widows indeed, that are like this, 
that were to be added to the widow list at the church in Ephesus and supported by the church because of not only their their past testimony and Christian service, but they continue to be serving the church, especially in prayer. That's a very hidden ministry, but many widows are diligent in prayer and they serve a great, great purpose in the Christian church and should not be despised. Verse 11, but the younger widows refuse for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry. So we don't know if there was some type of pledge or vow here that maybe widows were making, and then they went back on that later and said, well, I decided instead I want to remarry. Um, you know, we can't say for sure that that was being done. We don't know that. But basically, if you were added to the widow's list, you were to be considered somebody who wasn't ever going to remarry. And in, in essence, you devoted the rest of your life to the Lord and serving the church and prayer and good works, okay? I think we all understand that. But verse 11 starts to fix the problem. But the younger widows refuse, for when they've begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry. Now, there's nothing wrong with them marrying, but verse 12 talks about having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. We could study that a long time. I'm not exactly sure what this means, and there are many theories about it. We could say that it at least means that they were on the list of being widows to be cared for by the church, and then they went back on that and the idea of damnation, obviously we can think of eternal damnation, but if these were truly born-again widows, then that can't be the answer. But maybe it means having, you know, that they're going to be looked down upon, spoken against, condemned because they said they were going in one direction, and now they said, oh, never mind, I want to remarry. So Paul is dealing with this here, and he says, here's the problem. If, if, they're, um, if they are on the list, maybe, maybe they don't marry. Maybe they say, well, I'm still a widow, but they're not really serving the church. So here's what happens then. And with all, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. And not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies speaking things which they ought not. I want to tell you this, that when, when you visit homes, either as someone in the ministry or the service of the church, or even maybe you're in sales and you make home appointments, or you're a doctor who makes house calls, I think that idea of the Hippocratic Oath, that part about you will not divulge you know, things that you are aware of inside someone else's private home, you know, you don't want to be a person who spreads stories because that's going to be a problem of somebody trusting you if they let you into their home. You, you see what I'm saying? But apparently these widows were wandering all over town, uh, talking a lot. And you know what happens when you talk a lot. You tell things you shouldn't. And 
you know, tell things about other people that would be better kept private, you know, just personal, their personal life, you know, like maybe what their house looks like on the inside, that kind of thing. And this creates problems in churches. It creates problems anywhere. Because a, a widow who's been supported by the church, but not really serving the church, but then she's all over town and everybody's house, problems are going to happen. Trust me. So what's the solution? Verse 14. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry. You know, just forget about being a part of the, quote, widow's ministry because they're younger. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, that is, the enemies of the church outside or even Satan, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some are already turned aside after Satan. This is mind-boggling, but it was, apparently was a problem there, and if a church makes the mistakes that possibly were being made in Ephesus, it would be a problem to a church today. So verse 16 sums it all up. If any man or woman that believeth, so we're talking about Christians here, if any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them and let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. We're talking about financial support here, okay? So Timothy must have had a lot of on his plate in this area because that's 16 verses in 1 Timothy 5 that are devoted to helping him understand how to handle people problems or problem people, like the widows who are starting to talk a lot and spread it all over town. That's not, not a good thing in a church. All right, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 5, starting in verse 17, and we're going to finish out here. This talks a little more about the church leadership. So the first part was about the church membership, and this focuses primarily here on church leadership. Verse 17 in 1 Timothy 5, let the elders, now here, as opposed to being the older men that we saw mentioned in 1 Timothy 5 verse 1, this is literally the elders, like the church pastors, not just older men. Verse 17, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Now, if the idea of honor for the widow involves financial support, then it has to here as well, or it can't for widows. You follow me? Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double, and let's use that phrase, financial support, double money. That's the idea here of the honor, both for the widows and for the elders. Let the elders that rule well, that is, they, they lead the church 
from the front. You know, you've heard that phrase, lead from behind. There is no such thing as that. There never has been, there never will be. Real leadership in the real world, especially the church, is always leading from the front. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So we see two primary ministries of the church pastors here. That is, they are to to lead, like to administer, administrate and organize the ministry and work of the church, like caring for the widows indeed, as an example. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. So if a widow was to be supported, who was qualified, then certainly a pastor who does a great job is to also be um, paid. Some say they aren't, but clearly this says they are. Who are you going to follow, God or man? <laughs> so they're to be counted of, of double honor. If you're going to take care of the widows on one level, then it should be double in regard to these type of pastors, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine, who study the word and they teach and preach and minister the word of God to the body of Christ. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. So we get the picture here of you've got an ox who's tied up to one of these uh these mills, you know, where they walk around and around, well, they need to be able to eat some of what they're producing or they may just quit, right? They may just say, I don't want to do this anymore. Kill me. (laughs) Because if the ox is hungry and he can't even eat what he's producing for the owner of the ox, you get the idea. And that's also being merciful, by the way, right? For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. We know our Lord clearly taught that. So that's a, that's a very important thing here. Verse 19, against an elder. So well, let's back up to 17 and 18 there. Apparently there was some kind of issue, possibly, about how the the elders were compensated or not, or how much. And Paul lays it out. They, they should be twice as much as a, a widow, for example, just using that example. And apparently the elders were being spoken against. Did you know that used to happen? Did you know that still happens in churches? Against an elder, receive not an accusation but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. So Satan has a great tactic of of spreading lies and slander and accusation against pastors. It's as old as the church. It still goes on. The attitude that we should have is against an elder, receive not an accusation. Unless, 
And here's, here it is, but before two or three witnesses. Two or three people have to be able to say what's being said is true. You know, there's a couple of ways that you can handle accusations that are brought. One of them might be to say, well, I'll tell you what, let's you and me go to that pastor, that elder, and let's talk with him about that. And you know what? If that person is lying, they won't want to go. Or I heard this. This is a great idea. One pastor, I think it was Charles Spurgeon, said, well, would you write all of that out for me and sign it so I can take it to that person? Oh, no, no, I would never do that. It's, it, you know, it, it uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It weeds out false accusations or things that are blown out of proportion, for example. Now, if somebody says, oh, absolutely, I'll go with you, or absolutely, I'll sign it, you know, then you know, well, maybe we need to, maybe we need to know more about this. Um, but he says, them that sin, so it's possible that an elder or pastor can do something wrong that they need to repent of. Them that sin, rebuke. Man, that, that means call them out. You know, call to repentance. Them that sin, rebuke before all that others also may fear. That is, other elders and the whole church. You know, we're all equally accountable to the Word of God. Elders don't get a pass. In some churches, if elders have done things wrong, rather than confront it, they just promote them. Did you hear what I said? Instead of dealing with the problem, they get promoted or transferred. This is wrong. Them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. Verse 21, I charge thee before God. Now that that is pretty heavy right there. Paul the apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says to Pastor Timothy, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. So the temptation would be that Pastor Timothy may have been good buddies with one of these that needed to be called out. Can show no partiality. It's like, I love you, but we got to deal with this that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Verse 22, this is great counsel right here. Lay hands suddenly on no man. And that is the idea of, of endorsing them or ordaining them to the ministry of the church. Lay hands suddenly on no man. Neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. So Timothy had to be very careful not to hastily bring someone on board as a staff member or a pastor in a church or ordain them to the ministry. And he also had to be careful not to cover for other people or he would be like aiding and abetting in their sin. Keep thyself pure the Apostle Paul says. Now, you can imagine if you try only a little bit, if you were a pastor and you had to deal just with what we went over so far today, 
Sometimes your stomach will be in knots. Are you hearing me? Verse 23, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. <laughs> I think Pastor Timothy, he just internalized this. It wasn't like just information that went in one ear and out the other. It weighed him down and burdened him and worried him. And, you know, if you've got to confront people and there's no way out, I mean, honorably, scripturally, and it just has to be done, it can create stomach issues. Now, Timothy probably was a lot like me. I don't drink any alcohol at all. I, I've tasted beer. I've tasted wine. Uh, when I was a teenager, before I got saved. But since then, I've not. And that's by choice. I don't indulge in any alcohol at all. That way, if I get the call when I was a pastor at 3 a.m. that there's been a terrible accident or so-and-so's had a heart attack, they may not live there at the trauma center, I'm sober, Right? Timothy was like that, drink no longer water. So he drank water. Well, back in that day, water was not very clean, like it's allegedly clean today from water plants. But what happens, you know, if we lose those or we only are limited to just well water or spring water, that kind of thing, rivers, you know, that can have impurities in it that can make us sick. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. This is not a permission to go out and start being a, a raging social drinker. This was because he was sick. So if he were to use wine more often, and by the way, and I'm not going to go into great detail on this, but it is easy to prove that the wine used back in New Testament times, most often by Christians for sure, was greatly diluted, and the alcohol they drank was not, um, I don't even know a lot about this stuff, but it wasn't the high-octane stuff we can make today, not even by a long shot. So this is not saying Timothy can drink wine and get drunk, and you can go do that too. That's not what this is about. But use a little wine for thy stomach's sake. So this was the substitute for the water that probably was making him sick and the other problems that were being created by the stress he was under and thine often infirmities. And that's all he has to say about that, all right? Verse 24, some men's sins... By the way, let me go back to 23. You, you, have you ever heard somebody say they drink for medicinal purposes? <laughs> this is probably where they get that from. But um, they're not actually doing it for that reason. Like Paul was telling Timothy, they just use that as a reason to drink, 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 and they get drunk, and it's not good. Verse 24, some men's sins are open beforehand. That's their obvious going before to judgment. It's like they end up in a disaster and ultimately in judgment before God. Nobody's surprised. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment. 
and some men they follow after. For example, after they passed away, the truth comes out. Verse 25, Likewise also, the good works of some are manifest beforehand. I mean, you could see that they love the Lord and they serve the Lord. Likewise also, the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. So if somebody appears to be doing good works, sometimes when they die, the truth comes out. All right, so we've just seen 25 verses relating to handling problem uh, people problems and problem people. I hope that you've received significant scriptural and spiritual insight today, and maybe it will help you with a problem you're facing. Listen, you you have uh, tuned in today to This Week in the Word, heard at dredhill.podbean.com. It's free. There is well over, at this time, well over 180 episodes dealing with the Word of God, primarily verse-by-verse studies of the Word of God. But I want to give you a phone number right now because maybe you have questions about spiritual things or even about how to become a Christian. I want you to call this number, 877-247-2426. One more time, 877-247-2426. I want you to know today that with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Not only can your life be what it should be here on this earth, but you can be sure how your eternity will turn out. Instead of following Satan and being condemned to an eternal hell, you can follow Jesus Christ and be welcome into heaven and eternity with him. You can also go to chataboutjesus.com. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for listening today. I look forward to sharing the Word with you again in our next episode next week at This Week in the Word at dredhill.podbean.com. I invite you to like this episode. Follow the podcast and share it with somebody right now. Bye-bye.